The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 126 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on the 23rd of January, 2023, from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's flight, I'm joined by Captain Roger, Rob D, and Alex D. Together, we'll discuss scheduling snafus, captain upgrades, complacency on the flight deck, old school training, pilot EKG issues, and the FAA Aeromedical Division. The reason for the FAA system outage, pilot bonuses to Southwest pilots, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Before we push back from the gate, I would like to thank Captain Greg Daigle and his son Alex for joining me on our last episode. It was an honor to learn about Captain Daigle's journey and the twists and turns he navigated along the way. Joining us today is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AP and avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus pilot for Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Joining us from the Marriott Marquis in downtown Washington, D.C., where he found classified documents in the closet of his hotel room. Help us in welcoming our very own Mr. Rob D. Rob, how you doing? I swear I had nothing to do with it. I think the bellman probably just put it in the closet and didn't tell me about it. But anyway, we're cooperating cooperating fully with the authorities. Um, I do expect the FBI to be knocking on my door any minute now, though. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> well, also, wait. I can't wait to hear about that. Wait, hold on. Did you... What air, what hotel did you say I was at? I, I should have said I'm at the Watergate Hotel. Anyways, keep oh. going. Go ahead. <laughs> Not going old school now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> also joining us today is another exceptional aviator and Squawk Ident co-host. He is a professional CFI, IIIMEI flight instructor, former Embraer 145 airline pilot, King Air instructor, Dassault Falcon 900EZ 2000 pilot, and a G650 commander. He's a captain and director of flight operations and a corporate operator as well. Joining us from the frigid but beautiful snow-covered peaks of Aspen, Colorado, please help me in welcoming back to the show, Captain Roger. Captain? How you doing? You know, every time I hear that intro about myself, I feel really good about myself. You know, all these things that I do or did or something, I feel very important. So I'm feeling very good right now, you know, at least on a personal level. As you should, my friend, because, you know, if you were here on every single episode, I'd I'd happily add one new thing every single time. (laughs) That would mean I had time. Oh, time. What is, I'm not sure what time really is. I just know, I just know that it goes. Well. And I don't have it. It's kind of like money. It goes and I don't have it. Oh, come on. You know, there's a lot of similarity between those two things. I think you make more than all of us. (laughs) 
<laughs> running that part 91 airline well, that you do. You know, we'll talk to Captain, uh, <laughs> or we'll talk to Rob D about that, I'm sure, in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, soon. Big things. Big things. Big things. Well, also joining us today is an exceptional aviator and Squawk Ident co-host. He is a U.S. Navy Reserve's Chief Information Systems Technician, a certified flight instructor, an Embraer 175 pilot for Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of Legacy Airlines' wholly owned regional airlines. Joining us after a week spent in Vegas, baby, on a six-day off-stretch from his podcast studio in Temecula, California. Please help us in welcoming to the show, Mr. Alex D. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I wish I spent a week in Vegas. It was only a weekend, and I feel like it was a week in Vegas. So, I mean, I'm good. It's uh, it's been nice to actually have some time off and spend time with the family and whatnot. So, it's been great. Yeah. And and did yeah. you win big? <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm such a winner right now in Vegas. Yeah. So you didn't. He's back at work, so he's he's. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, like counting all his chips. No, no, no. It's a, I go to work in two days, so I, I you know, that hasn't fully uh, like been counted all yet. So I'll let you guys know uh, what the consensus is. So far, I'm up to thirty-seven cents. Now Vegas is definitely a place you go for fun. And did you take the kids, or was this just uh, you and the missus? Uh, I was a whole family adventure. Um, had some stuff kind of pop up or not pop up as it should have popped up for us on Friday and left us with some time off. So uh, we were going to go out just for like a day or two um, and then come right back. But ended up working out where we got to spend the weekend there. Um, so it was nice. We uh, we took the kids uh, out. We went to this place called Meow Wolf. Um, it's uh, where this basically it's it's in this place called area 15 and it's like this whole like entertainment district inside of a building but the like coup de gras i guess if you will is this mega mart that you can go in and if you guys have seen it on like tiktok or youtube where like you open up the cooler and you go into some back room and there's like you know some like industrial like thing it's actually kind of cool i could have spent way more time in there uh just searching around every room hmm. uh, but that was cool uh, and we got to go uh to a hockey game while we were out there go see the vegas knights play um as a family so that was fun uh we the missus and i have a bucket list goal now of uh hitting all 32 hockey arenas so far we've got oh. two so <laughs> 30 to go we'll start hey, hey we gotta start somewhere right I so I, I, in my mind i thought you were gonna say oh we got you know 15 or 20 but no, uh, no that's cool dude that, i think that's awesome yeah. <laughs> i wasn't making fun of it it just no in my I, mind i was thinking a bigger number you went two i was like huh. well i have three so i mean i've got one up on her i've been to the cool. uh american airlines center arena which one's in dallas whichever one that is i've yeah. been to that one so yeah. i've got three she's got two so yeah, there that's you go. Cool. Well, that's a cool thing to do together and be yeah. able to knock all that Some out. Some people do like baseball parks and stuff. You know, it's cool. Yeah. Right, really cool to do hockey. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to say thank you again. Uh, it was really cool sitting down with you in, in your childhood home with your dad and, and learning about his journey in aviation. And man, he's quite the character and he's doing very well. Right? Like $500 never know that he had a for stroke. his private pilot license? Yeah. yeah. What? Well, you also got to remember it was 1970. 
Yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah. times have completely changed. You know, he was talking about getting a plane wet for like 20 bucks. And I'm like, that's yeah. not even cover the cost of an instructor nowadays. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he was saying uh, before we started the podcast, it took a, quite a while to set up, you know, normally I'm here in the studio, we're doing a zoom call and you know, the audio is, you know, pretty crisp and I don't have to worry about echo and one microphone picking up audio from another microphone. But here I was, you know, throwing everything in a big, uh, uh, bin and, and taking it with me. I, I had a, my car was full of stuff and, and Alex helped me set up. It took about an hour to set all that up. I have a new appreciation for what you do. <laughs> yeah, it was. And then we had to like adjust and, and then we had, we took video too. I haven't had a chance yet to, to edit any of that stuff because I have been flying, uh, believe it or not, um, quite a bit. Yeah. I think I did like 90 hours uh, in January. Um, yeah. And then in December was another big one, but um yeah. And, and that was a, a really cool thing. And he was apologizing because he said, you know, I had a stroke earlier last year. And so I might, you know, really struggle to find the next word. And I said, don't worry, we'll edit all that out. And actually he did great. <laughs> yeah. You could tell that he was nervous at the beginning of it, but as he got, you know, more into it, like he started, you know, the stories become more fluid and like, he was, you know, stuttering less and all that. It was kind of hard, though, because I was trying to keep him on track of his script that we had. And he was like all over the place. So I know <laughs> the editing for you, Tony, must have been a nightmare, but he, he did pretty good. Yeah, you know, um, honestly, uh, it was a, a little one of those episodes. So every once in a while, you get an episode where you're just you're editing in post-production quite a bit um, with him. I only moved one chunk from one area to another so that it would fit more chronologically. But really, there wasn't that much editing other than like the gaps in time and things yeah. like that. I listened you know? to it. It sounded really good. Yeah. Oh, no, thank it was, you. It was super awesome. Um, yeah. He, he was asking because like when it got released, I, you know, told him and um, they they found it on Spotify and he was able to listen to it because I was trying to find it on YouTube. I just I was looking for the video and I was like, wait, 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 hold on. This is Tony we're talking about. He's still edit. He's still back like at least 30 About episodes six or seven well six or seven episodes <laughs> back i still have they're all in the can man <laughs> so no he he was just like excited to see the video of it but you know he he understood once i told him like you know we do the audio and then tony released snippets and chunks of the 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 whole show yeah so but he he listened to it uh he loved it um he got the one thing he did say was my voice sounds different and i was like oh, really <laughs> yeah that's what he said he's he said yeah i realized my voice sounds different from what i sound like to myself to what i sound like on on tape basically oh, wow. well most pilots they realize that almost immediately when they start talking into a microphone <laughs> listen yeah. to themselves goes, in I, their headphones. i hear my voice you know every day and he goes i'm used to hearing it and feedback and all that stuff and he goes i just don't remember it sounding like that and i'm like well yeah yeah what you sound like sorry i hope you liked it that was good oh he loved it he, yeah. he had he had a blast doing it he said it was fun yeah, so we recorded that, and then the very next day, I went home, and I packed, and the very next day, I, I went on a trip. Um, it was an interesting trip, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, the new year this uh, so far um, has been busy, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people, it's, it's been busy uh, in the industry. Um, and I did this trip on the first week of January that was a little bit butchered. And it was a, a not a bad trip. It was a four day trip. Uh, good captain didn't have uh, any really out of the ordinary event happen. Uh, we did start a new procedure over at Legacy Airlines. 
Um, and in an effort to now I have a theory. Okay. Now Alex is dying laughing because he knows all about it. I have a theory. Okay. Here's my theory. My theory is that the age 67 rule will happen this year. Put it in the book, you know, put it in, you know, our prediction book. Um, so we can bet on it. Uh, I think the age 67 rule will happen by the end of this year. Now, what happens when you're 65 or coming up on 65 and you decide, you know what, I, I, this is a career I love doing. I'm going to just keep doing it and I'm going to stay to 67. But the European uh, air, aviation industry won't allow me to fly into their airspace at age 67. They're putting a cap on 65. They've already said this, the, what's it, not the JA. JAA, but what's it called now? The the European version of the FAA, IACRA or not IACRA? ICAO. I, no, ICAO um, would be more like JAA. I think it's called JAA, or and I think it's, it's something else in the European Union, mm. whatever. Anyway, so ESA, E A S A, EASA. Yeah, I think that's EASA, something like that. So, what's going to happen is these wide body captains on the triple seven are going to have to, if you want to stay, you can stay. They'll probably pay protect them and they'll put them on a domestic route, which means narrow body. Right? So now you have a captain who has been doing this forever. (laughs) Who's up there in age and they're going to come to a narrow body and they're going to have to learn a whole new airplane that maybe they've never flown before. So in an effort to Rob, what's the, the verbiage they're using to make everything like a, a very seamless transition. I forget how they're calling it, but uh, fleet harmonization. F- thank you, fleet har- fleet. Oh, that's, yeah, okay, yeah. Fleet harmonization. Ah. <laughs> so what? So it doesn't matter if you're flying a Boeing or an Airbus or an Embraer. They want all the callouts to be pretty much the same. Okay, so whereas in the past the pilot flying would take care of uh, certain duties and the pilot monitoring would take care of certain duties. Now they're putting more and more emphasis on the new callouts. So instead of, for example, flaps one on the descent, the pilot flying would say, and the pilot monitoring would verify, put their hand on the flap lever and say flaps one, and then move the lever to flaps one. That way the pilot flying knows that the pilot monitoring is doing what they asked. It's a challenge response or a, or a, a request and confirm either way. Now, because of fleet harmonization, the pilot flying will call for flaps one on the Airbus and the pilot monitoring will say speed verified. It's a Boeing thing. And then they, well, yeah, or, or, you know, speed checks on Boeing and they, so now it doesn't matter. Boeing Airbus, it's all speed verified. So now everybody has the same thing. And, uh, Flex thrust set. Right. So the, the pilot flying will call out the thrust mode when they go to take off, right? So, you know, set power. So they say f- set flex. The pilot monitoring usually says flex set, confirming that they're in fact in flex. Why is that important? Well, let's say it was a toga takeoff. And I said set toga. The pilot monitoring will confirm that I actually put it in the toga detent and they'll say toga set not flex, not MCT, just toga, right? So uh, now it's just thrust set. Okay. 
Well, you briefed it. Well, that's fleet harmonization. The other things, the other little things, like uh, I've been making a lot of PAs lately because now it's the the pilot monitoring's job to make the PAs because yeah. the pilot's flying. He's flying. You can't make PAs when they're flying. Are you kidding me? Well, you uh, can turn off the lights. Well, the pilot flying now gets to turn off the lights, something that over at Legacy, the FO would never touch the lights. That's a captain's thing. The, and then the FO would never make a PA. That's a captain thing. So all this harmonization, there are a lot of changes all at once. And the only training we got was a PowerPoint presentation, a quick reference guide, and a hard date on when we were going to start doing this. And so I got to fly that trip with my captain and you know, it was fine. We did okay. We were, we, we kind of like, he would say, I'd say set thrust and, or he, I'd say set, uh, set flex. And he'd say flex set. I went, what? <laughs> he'd go set flex, flex set. I'm like what? Like, oh crap. Uh, thrust set. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and we were doing that to each other to, to get us to, you know, move forward. So it's been an interesting a few weeks over at Legacy. Watching, yeah, it's definitely been, been a combination of both combination of both call outs, uh, the old and the new call-outs. Yeah. The I've been watching time. you guys And then we're both reaching trips. for like the switches at the same time. We're like, whose turn is it? Right. I don't know. Who's flying? Who's not flying? Yeah. There's a lot of that, especially I, I, on I the ground. Questions? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-oh, here we go. And I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stop with two. Uh, so if, if I'm flying a, a 7-3 and, and I call for flaps one, what happens? Oh, the big, oh, well, the one part is, is it like fleet flaps one, specific. Flaps two, flaps three, flaps four, flaps four. No, that's, no. that's just for the no, Airbus. Boeing, yeah, Boeing has zero, one, five, ten, fifteen. 10, 15. So, 20, so, so, so the harmonization yeah. is in the even in the Boeing, you would call for say flaps fifteen, right? So before, so this is only taste. harmonization within a manufacturer. Yes. Well, they're, they they yes. want it so that okay. now in the Boeing you say speed verified, just like you do in the Airbus, where it used to have to say well, speed checks, right? Yeah, they just say verified. Yeah. Exactly. My second, my second question. So <laughs> you've made your your age sixty seven prediction, which is rather interesting. We'll, we'll we'll go with that. Why is it that that these poor unfortunate souls that are going to get paid for an additional two years when nobody else has that they're going to get pay protected when they fly a different uh, when they go back to a narrow body? Right. Yeah. Well, th- I th- I have a feeling that the company is trying to make that transition as easy as possible for a group that might stay until age 67 because why, 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 how is the European them? space agencies are saying we're not going to allow pilots to come into our airspace okay. after the age of 65. So why are we paying them? Why are we paying them for what they're not doing? Because we have a pilot shortage. So we need them to fly airplanes longer. So if we... So, okay, so hold on. So you have pilots... Your theory is that you have pilots that now that they can fly to 67, they're not going to fly to 67 because in, unless they can get paid as a triple seven pilot, because otherwise I, I'm not doing it. Well, I have a feeling that if they say you can fly to 67, but you're going to have to take a pay decrease to go to a narrow body and, and go, go to a narrow body and, and go to the yeah, long term training, they won't do it. Yeah. They won't do it. There's no way. No. Unless they have okay. like five ex-wives or something. I don't know. Yeah. You know what? I bet Alex would do it, and he'd do it for cheaper. 
No, I wouldn't. <laughs> if if I got to that point where I was up there and I was flying on a triple and they said that you can no longer fly no, 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 the triple, no, 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 you no. have to go down. No, like today. He like, but here's no, the problem. Today. Who's going to replace I don't care Alex? About you in the future. I oh. care about you now. If I if I'm Legacy Airlines or if I'm any airlines and we got 67 and we have a whole bunch of top you know top heavy pay guys and I can suck all the guys up from the regionals, you're going to do it for cheaper. But who's going to replace him? That's exactly Who cares? it. Well, yeah, right if they're a wholly owned operator and the they need small airplanes yeah. to go into these, because uh, we're not going to be able to fill the big planes up. Yeah, the markets. The people yeah, from the small markets. You can't, you can't get me to fly the triple without me actually being able to fly the triple outside of the the smaller market. I'm going to make a prediction for this year too. Mm. Oh yeah. That no matter what happens, uh-huh. you guys are all going to be whiny bitches. That's my, that's my prediction. <laughs> Mark it down. Uh, it's in the book. It's in the book. But I, I guarantee you. I am not well, wait, saying wait, that. Do, do we actually about? need that to be a prediction? That's a one to like, one. That's going to happen regardless. <laughs> what are the odds? One to one. Give me well, three to five odds on that. So it's been it's been an interesting fleet harmonization transition. Now the JFK runway incursion. If anybody that has in aviation has received any kind of news or they're following Kyle's aviation business information board, that they can see that there's audio tapes. There's, there's video, uh, Blanco Lirio, uh, Juan Brown's YouTube channel. He did an excellent, um, review of what we know so far. Of course, there'll be an investigation. And of course it's going to take a year for, the NTSB to release their findings. Um, they crossed the wrong runway. They, they neglected to make a, a right turn to cross the runway. They were told to cross and they actually went straight and crossed an active runway. And that could have been disastrous. It was only a thousand foot separation after Delta aborted. Um, and you know, the separation was, yeah. was not there. That, that would have been one of the world's most horrendous accidents in a long time. Yeah. And it was since avoided. Tenerife. Well, yeah, yeah, since Tenerife. Um now yeah. it my first thought was there's three pilots in there. Okay, there's the captain, the FOA and FOB. That's what they call it. FO one, FO two, the relief FO. For takeoff and landing, all three are on the flight deck. All three are supposed to be paying attention. And so the FOB at minimum has a like a, a Czech airman view or wide angle view of what's going on. If they're all following along, what the heck are, what the heck's going on up there? Now I'm not trying to be critical of what happened. I don't know what happened. I'm not going to speculate what happened. Yeah. It's an accident. Guess what? We've all made an accident similar incident. to that, you know, or an incident, you know, we've all made that kind yeah. of mistake before. I've actually been a part of a runway incursion at JFK before. It's not hard to do. Um, and I think I talked about that a couple of years ago on the show. Um, and I was very, very, very lucky that I didn't have any kind of disciplinary action against the captain or myself. And uh, so I could totally understand how that could happen. Is it possible that they were worried about fleet harmonization callouts while taxing out? That's the speculation. Is it possible? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, think, uh, I think that is definitely a factor but i also think that they that this is a perfect demonstration of expectation bias that that also is coupled another. coupled with you know the the complexity of the new checklist yeah and, and so. loss of situational awareness i mean we can yeah. we can go on yeah. and on and all the, the threat and error management yeah. factors that were not caught yeah. 
Um, yeah. And I, and not to say that the, uh, the crew wasn't, you know, in the wrong here, obviously just, you know, placing immediate blame and be the crew, but I'd hate to say that cause we're, you know, there are fellow pilots, but the other thing I, I, I hate that nobody's even talking about is why wasn't the ground controller paying attention either? Right. Hey, hey, you went the wrong way. I mean, they have. You're not where you're supposed to be. It's yeah. a triple. They're not taxing at the speed of heat. It's not Southwest where they're no. sipping around like a freaking yeah. Vespa in Rome. They're, yeah. they're, they're taxing really slow. It's a triple seven. Yeah. It could have been caught. So I, the, the I, ground I don't monitor want to place wasn't. blame on them, but it's still. There's a little bit of liability that I think the ground controller needs to accept because yeah. they, you know, they were holding short of a runway. So there was some time and I believe you're supposed to check that the runway is clear before you cross anybody and then see where yeah. that guy's going to cross. But yeah. And what's the, I, what's I the automated the lights? Story. That That's the big the debate. Runway status lights. The, the runway yeah, status the lights. Uh, were they working? Oh, why did they, I, why would, did they yes. not go off? There's a lot of questions there because you know, what was planned on the TPS? What was briefed? You know, what was loaded into the box? You know, those, those big things are right there. What was, what was displayed on the ATIS? Cause in that configuration, yes, they were departing four left, but they routinely depart three, one left at Kilo Echo Yeah, in that configuration. Yeah. So, you know, a big heavy probably would want to use full length, but, um, yeah. anyway. And then what, what's I, one thing we do as first officers at least those of us that are first officers, we take our yeah. Jeppesen EFB and we draw the little green or whatever color line you, yeah. you choose for the day. And you draw the line on your, on your ten nine page on your taxi diagram. And if you have a GPS signal, which is questionable, um, but let's just say you're following along and you draw the taxi route out or you write down the taxi route. Um, you technically, you have all these you barriers geo reference I, I assume that's what you're asking about the or wondering about the gps signal i mean do you have yeah. geo referenced yeah we do however the triple seven doesn't have adequate geo reference so mm. um i've heard from, from all the pilots the Where ipads the gps iPad? antenna oh it just comes from the ipads yeah internal antenna so it actually right. only works yeah. on the ground anyway well it when you no, get it works with, in the coupled air too. with the wi-fi or even in the air works with it too. So right. yeah, yeah, it, it work should work. And as a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> our standard operating procedure for the EFBs over at both Sandpiper and Legacy that those that have it on that fleet is that at eighty knots upon landing, the um, accelerometer and the GPS that's built into the tablet will determine when you reach 80 knots and it'll automatically put the moving map display yep. uh, on I your tablet. That. You don't even have yep. to reach over and tap it or anything. So as soon as you clear the runway, even if your both hands are occupied doing stuff, it Which should be are. there. Yeah. Yeah. Now. So like before I land, I kind of expand the airport moving map right around the area that I plan on turning off. Yeah, I do the same. And then so that when I go to the approach plate as soon as i get below 80 knots boom it populates the moving map right around the area that i was expecting to turn off yeah 
So a lot of questions involved here. Yeah. Um, it was a, a, my biggest curiosity in all of this, the discussions I've been having lately with my flight crew is, is part of one of the threats in this situation going to be uh, placed on this new checklist that, you know, this fleet harmonization that we weren't really trained. We didn't have a day of training for this. We were just told here's a PowerPoint presentation. And, and it's not like it's one thing. Okay. It's yeah. not like, it's not like it's one thing. It's like it, every single phase of flight has changes from, from pre-departure all the way through parking. So yeah, we'll just have to, here's my, here's my just guessing. If I were to guess what happened here, which I don't think we should be doing any of this, but I'm gonna, <laughs> but we're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna, here, here's, here's my gut feeling. Hmm. So I have a feeling that they actually had four left loaded into the box, which was the proper runway. They wanted to do three, one left. So they briefed three, one left, but they never received the TPS data for three, one left. So on the taxi out, what does the first officer do? Get, to get all weight the data balance. loaded into the box, Absolutely. weight balance from the numbers, goes heads down at the whole short line and gets a little disoriented because you're trusting the 30-year, you know, single-digit single, single digit captain <laughs> that's yeah. driving the airplane that's been doing this forever. Yeah. I've been doing this for 35 years. Um, knows where he's at in JFK, which I think that was their home base. Right. So, um, mm -hmm. which is another holy crap moment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, got the run, got the clearance to cross. I, I believe the female FO answered the radio for the crossing clearance and they crossed the runway. And meanwhile, now she's like, holy shit, I got to make a PA. Uh -huh. And that's now that's know, the FO's job. Is, right. Yep. Uh, man. Yeah. Flight attendants totally. prepare so for takeoff. Lots of essay. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. So we went from the FO being busy on the ground to the FO being busy and responsible for the pre-departure PAs as well. So crazy. Okay. Well, enough anyway. about that. Let's. Uh, the, this trip that I took, we experienced this, and Rob, I'm sure you you've been experiencing these changes as well. It's just a pain in the butt. I'm, I think yeah. I've got it down now. It's been what two weeks. Um, yeah. since then and two or three weeks and I think I've got it down, but in this particular yeah. trip, what I really wanted to talk about is this reassignment thing that happened. Um, we did a Pittsburgh layover on day one. Uh, it was nice trip. Nothing, nothing big. Uh, it was a two leg day. So left Ontario around one o'clock in the afternoon, went to Dallas didn't really have a very long sit, just enough time to swap airplanes and then head out to Pittsburgh. Uh, the next morning, we did a uh, Pittsburgh to Philadelphia, Philadelphia to Charleston, Charleston to Charlotte, Charlotte to Des Moines. Four legs. And to sound like me. It was a full, yeah, it was a full day. <laughs> yeah. Um, Regional trips. For got sure. done at 10 o'clock at night. Next day, all we had to do was Des Moines to Charlotte. Now, you know, conventional wisdom states that anytime you're going to a base and you only have one leg for that day, you are in the right poor reassignment. reassignment. And guess what happened? Uh, in route from Des Moines to Charlotte, 
we got a ding. You are now not laying over in Charlotte. You're going to fly Charlotte to Atlanta on a delayed flight where the crew timed out. Captain and I looked at the schedule and go, do we want to do this? Should we do this? What happened was it would remove two legs from day four. So we would only have to do two legs on day four and be home on time. And we're like, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's not like we're been flying a bunch. We only had one leg. So we <laughs> were supposed to go to a gate in Charlotte and they changed our gate right before we landed so that our airplane would park next to the Atlanta flight so that we as the pilots didn't have to walk across the airport. We could just go next door. And, and when we pulled into the ramp area, the ramp uh, agent said, hey, uh, can you please just pull in behind that A321 that just pushed off your gate? And as soon as they clear, you're going to park at that gate. And we're like, yeah, sure. Meanwhile, we're standing behind them. They're sitting there. They're getting one engine running. They're running their flows and their checklists and everything, getting ready to go. And some other aircraft, because you know about banking, that's when you know we get a bunch of airplanes all leaving around the same time. We get a bunch of planes coming in all around the same time. That way, connections can be tighter. Oh, efficiency. So we start hearing other airplanes that are in that alley call for push. Uh, one airplane, two airplanes, three airplanes. Next thing you know, six airplanes all called for push and their push was held because they're waiting for us to clear and we're waiting for the aircraft in front of us to clear. And right. a few minutes go by and the, and the ramp agent you know, gets on the radio and says, hey, Legacy, are you ready to go up there? And they're like, oh, the cap or the <laughs> FO answers and goes, the captain's on the phone with maintenance. It's going to be a minute. Now, personally, if I'm in command of an airplane that's blocking an entire alley because they were right in the right in the joint of the base of the alley, I'd probably go, well, if I can move the airplane, let me move the airplane, go to the hard stand, call maintenance. That way we're not blocking anything. They're not asking us to move and we can take our time and run this. And if we have to go back to a gate, we'll go back to a gate. But that's not what happened here. Now, we don't know what their maintenance issue was. It could have been an engine. It could have been a brake issue. It could have been, hey, I better not move this airplane. It's not safe. We don't know. They didn't, they didn't speculate. Um, I'm sorry. They didn't indicate uh, what, uh, what it was. However, 20 minutes went by. And now everyone's kind of losing their patience. And we finally get to the gate. Now, mind you, that aircraft that we flew into Charlotte had an ME APU. Now, <laughs> Rob, lately, how many ME APUs have you had? Lately? Not that many, but. Really? pain in the butt yeah i've had i've had three in the last three weeks <laughs> three airplanes. Uh, yeah. but i don't know what it is no, um, i haven't had that many so when your auxiliary power unit is meld it's deactivated meaning you don't have apu bleed for an engine start so you have to do an external air start and then a cross bleed start and when you get to the gate you can't shut down one or both engines because you'll lose power the airplane will go dark and you won't have all their safety fire suppression stuff so what you have to do is wait for the jet bridge to attach. Then they lower the boom with the uh, GPU connector, the ground power unit, and they'll plug you in. Now, once we parked at the gate, mind you, now we're kind of like, okay, we're late now and everybody wants to get off the plane. We've been delayed here on the ramp. Tensions were getting a little bit high and the jet bridge is moving. I'm reading our checklist, our shutdown checklist. Uh, I complete the checklist. I look at the captain and I go, hey, they're connecting the jet bridge. I, I'm going to jump out and use the lav real quick. I had to go. 
I come out of the lav and the jet bridge door is still the the the, the door is not uh, opened yet. And I asked the number one flight attendant, "What happened?" She goes, "Oh, she put the jet bridge on crooked, and she opened the door, but it only would open like two inches because it hits the side of the jet bridge. She needs to realign the jet bridge." <laughs> I went, "Okay, <laughs> that's interesting." So I, I turn around yeah. and, and go inside the flight deck and the captain's hanging out of the side window going, no, I need power. I need power. I can't. No, I don't have an APU. I need power. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, they want to move the jet bridge, but they can't move the jet bridge unless they disconnect the ground power. But I don't have power. I'm like, oh, great. So they're like, OK, he makes a PA. He tells everyone, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go without power just for a moment because they need to move the jet bridge. So they raised the, the boom with the the gpu cable and the jet bridge won't move and she's at it like the agent's at it and then our supervisor comes over and he's at it and the jet bridge won't move so it's like give me power it's been too long give me power you'll figure it out later go get me a portable or something they're like well, we don't have any right now sorry captain so so he's yelling out the side of the airplane <laughs> so we get more power and uh and it turns out that they didn't disconnect the air hose from the jet bridge the jet bridge won't move if the air hose is extended or the power cord is extended. Oh, they already pulled that thing out, huh? So the captain goes, listen, we're going to try this one more time. First, disconnect the air. Reel it in. Then let me know when and we'll disconnect the power. You can move the jet bridge a foot or whatever you have to move it. And then give me power again. So we're not in the dark here. It's at night. So what do they do? Okay. Uh, I can disconnect the power now, Captain. He goes, fine. So he disconnect the power. And then <laughs> they decide to disconnect the air hose. And that takes a while for it to reel back up into the jet bridge. So now we're just sitting here just scratching our heads going, this is like a freaking clown show, man. No wonder we have a certain reputation over at Legacy Airlines. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So we finally got everything hooked up. Okay. This is like about 40 minutes after we landed. Now we're delayed even more. And we're just thinking those flight attendants over at that other airplane are probably pissed because they probably boarded up and they've been sitting there, you know, because they don't get paid during boarding. They only get paid when the door closes, right? So we walk over there and the, the flight attendants were smart. They said, don't you dare board this aircraft until both the captain and the flight first officer are on the jet bridge. So that's what happened. So we get down there and Sure enough, we board it up, we push off the gate, and we go through our flow. And part of the flow for the first officer is to check the status page. Now, the status is where any malfunction that's not a major malfunction or a, a caution or a warning or a previous malfunction that was deactivated would appear. You're not supposed to have that kind of stuff. So I'm doing my after start flow, and I have a circuit breaker popped on the rear circuit breaker panel, K through Y or whatever it was. And so we both look at that and we both turn around and look at the circuit breaker panel and I go one by one with my hand. I run it across the circuit breakers to make sure that none of them are popped or maybe partially popped. And I'm like, nothing's popped, Captain. And what does he do? He goes, well, let's go and park in the stand <laughs> so we're not blocking yeah. the aisle or the alley. And we'll call MOC and find out what they want us to do. So sure enough, we went out there. We called MOC and they said, go back to the gate. We need to figure out one of these monitored circuit breakers says they're tripped. And I said, okay. So we went 
back to the gate and ran a checklist. And here comes a team of maintenance people because you know now we're really delayed. And they popped a big circuit breaker panel behind the first officer's seat. And I have a picture of it. It's pretty amazing. Um, and all live. We had power on the airplane. It was all live. And he had to check one by one every single circuit breaker. And yeah. once he checked all that, then he could offer the MEL that the message should not be there. <laughs> wow. So, you know, at, at, some time went by, right? About 40 minutes. I had my phone on. Captain had his phone on. Uh, we're just sitting there talking about, okay, what time are we going to actually get to the hotel tonight? You know, what's our, how many, what's our layover going to be? How many, how many hours of sleep are we going to get tonight? You know? So here we are cutting into our rest time. So we finally, it's time to go. Okay. So we push off the gate at 7.42 p.m. And we taxi out, run our checklist, and we take off. When I landed in Atlanta, after we got to the gate, ran a checklist and I turned on my phone. Seven missed calls from crew scheduling. Jesus. So I, the captain's like, dude, really? You got seven missed calls? I'm like, look, I hadn't even listened to the voice messages. I just got the text from it saying, we're trying to reach you. This is your first attempt. You're being reassigned. You're going to Orlando. I'm like, what? What? Here's a second attempt. Why aren't you answering the phone? You're going to Orlando. We need you to go to Orlando. It's at this gate. Oh. Call us back. Third attempt. Uh, uh, we really need you to call, about, call us back. Okay. So I say, Captain, do you mind? Can you check the NS and see if I'm actually on this flight? Because I don't know what's going on. They think I'm in Charlotte. And he goes, no, you're not. It's some new hire FO with the big P next to their name. It means they're probationary. And I was like, oh, crap. So I checked my schedule. And sure enough, I'm not supposed to be in Atlanta. I'm supposed to be in Orlando. So I'm like, do you mind if I call him right now? He goes like, go ahead. We got to wait for the flight attendants anyway. We go to the hotel. Like, okay. So I call crew scheduling and let's just call her Karen. Karen answers the phone. I say, hi, Karen. This is a Tony. I'm calling you back. Uh, I just landed. She's like, where are you? I I, I just, I just landed in Atlanta. (sighs) Hold on. So I'm on hold collect all my things, pack up my bags, step out on the jet bridge, wait for the flight attendant, finish deplaning. She goes, never mind. Since you ignored our calls, I'll just put you back on your schedule. And I said, excuse me, hold on, wait. What's going on with my schedule? She's like, well, you were ignoring our phone calls, so you're back on your schedule. Click. The captain's looking at me smiling, going, don't even worry about it, bro. He goes, (laughs) (laughs) he goes, it's not your problem. You're not even responsible to answer your phone. That's not your responsibility. They're, they have to have positive contact before they even touch your schedule. And I go, wait a minute. And I'm looking at the first, at the very first phone call, the first attempt. Now, mind you, I said that we pushed off the gate at 742. The first attempt was at 815. I was airborne. Oh, so you're airborne. So yeah. they didn't even know I was in the, I was on flight. <laughs> I, was, I was in the air. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, crazy. it bothered me. It bothered me because, yeah, it shouldn't have because it's their error, you know, and it's no harm, no foul, right? But it bothered me because she's like, well, you're ignoring our phone calls. And I, I don't play that game. Not, not that it matters. So the next day, <laughs> I went to the chief pilot's office in Dallas. Now, not my chief pilot's office, but the chief pilot's office in Dallas. Because I had about a what, two and a half hour sit. 
So I'm like, hey, uh, is there a chief pilot I could talk to here? Just, oh, okay, what's, what's it about? I'm like, I just want to talk to you about something that happened with my schedule. He's like, all right, come into my office. So I said, I'm like, look, I, I don't want any phone calls to be made or anything. I just don't need to get this off my chest. Once I tell somebody that, you know, in management about this, I'll feel better. And that's all that really I'm here for. Yeah. And I said, I told him what happened. And he just leans back in his seat and he goes, you don't even need to have a cell phone, my friend. He goes, I wouldn't sweat it. He goes, now, she was very rude to you. And if you want to at least tell her supervisor, you know, Karen's supervisor that, you know, that's no way to talk to us. We're not, you know, playing games. And uh, I said, no, I said, I'm not. It's, <laughs> it's not a big deal. But it did bother me to the point where this morning I felt, you know, I'm going to go talk to you about it. And then I said, so anyway, how are things going? How do you like this uh, <laughs> integration of our <laughs> fleet harmonization? Um, and he said, yeah, a couple pilots were removed from flying because they refused to uh, update their manuals and incorporate that stuff before the trip. <laughs> oh, man. What a mess. Yeah. So that, that, That's that, crazy. that diatribe um, was what I've been up to. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that sucks, man. Wow, I, I hate those situations. You yeah. know, it's like I, there's no reason to talk to people that way to begin with. You know, no. I think obviously they're stressed out over there. And yeah, they're probably just trying to fill all those peg holes with all the missing, you know, missing uh, crews. But yeah. you know, there's no way to talk to another employee. No, not at all. Well, he said that uh, like 70% of the crew schedulers over at Legacy are all probationary right brand now. New. They're all new. Yeah. Um, they're all brand new. They're really trying to uh, bring the number of crew schedulers back up after COVID, um, and they're having a hard time. So it's no excuse, but no. it's just tough when you, know, you, you, you do an honest day's work, you're professional. You love your career. You love the people you work with. And then somebody who's on your, dare I say the word, I hate this word, team, that <laughs> just treats you like you're, you're playing games and you're not. It's yeah. just, yeah. Roger's yeah. just there. is like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? <laughs> Roger has the, the management, the management leaning back in his chair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's like, yep. I don't, have to, don't worry about it. <laughs> That all now that all I, you got Tony. So, and again, I'm crew scheduling too. So yeah, you're, I, you're, you, know, you're you wear many hats, Roger. <laughs> That's right. Now, Rob, you've been busy with uh, volleyball schedules again. Um, Tell me about it. <laughs> and in, in the middle of one of my sits in in the DF and W, uh, I'm looking at the vacancy bid that came out. And what do you have to say about that, young man? Well, I'm just happy to report I've been awarded. Uh, Captain DFW Airbus 320 Domestic. So, uh, long time coming. Six years here at Legacy, which, you know, that's nothing relative to the, to the crowd, but, um, six years of Legacy. Six years here at Legacy. And then, uh, (laughs) I guess 17 years or so, you know, since I started this job. 17 years Um, at a part 121 airline. One yep. job interview. Finally made it to run. Yep. One interview. Finally made the uh, legacy captain. So, well, I've been awarded le- legacy captain. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty fired up. Yeah. 
Well, we are Looks very, like, uh, very April proud of training you. Class. Well, thanks, man. I think you're next. Tony's next. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, and I and I made a post on the on the uh, Squawk Ident Instagram page. Yeah, saying, hmm, the view from this seat's great, but I wonder what the view is from the other seat. I I could, yeah. you know, a couple years ago, I could have. We both could have uh, gone to the East Coast and held a a left seat yeah. position. Um, I did that with Sandpiper. I know as Rob did too. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't want to do that again, especially this point in my career. Yeah. So uh, yeah, maybe oh, by this time next year, something in the vicinity of this side of the continent, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe I'll just move It'll to happen. Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Be finally able to, uh, be the one in charge again because there's a lot of great guys but don't get me wrong there's some of them there that are just hard to deal with and they're they make this job a lot harder than it really is yeah you know it's like it doesn't have to be that way (laughs) yeah i think that's the best part of upgrading and sitting in the left seat it's not the money it's not the uniform it's not the prestige it's the fact that you set the tone on the flight deck. Yeah, and totally. It, it's all about your leadership, your professionalism. And, you know, if you, if you have an easygoing, open kind of door policy flight deck and you treat everybody with respect, the job is so much ple- it's so pleasurable to come to work and fly. And, yeah. and nothing really bugs you. It kind of just rolls off. You roll with it, you know? Yep. Yeah. Great. Or it could... Yeah, you know, man. You can make it as hard as you want. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but something else happened to you. You were telling me about uh, uh, you were doing a Santa Ana to Austin and something got a little scary there for a minute. What happened? Yeah, man. Well, it, it didn't get scary, but, you know, it, it definitely uh, drives home the, uh, the idea that we need to pay attention to what we're doing at all times and not get complacent up there. You know, we've been, like I said, doing it for 17 years um, seven, six years here at legacy and, um, complacent me, complacency hit me and the captain the other day on our way to, uh, to Austin from, um, from orange County, uh, because of turbulence, we had been filed initially at a low altitude, um, 24,000 feet. And, uh, it was bumpy. I mean, there was no smooth rides out there. So even at 24,000 feet, we were, you know, just getting, getting our butts kicked. Um, and we were scheduled to climb to a final cruising altitude of 36,000 feet, somewhere around the Phoenix area. And, um, <clears throat> and then also along with that, the jet stream was, was, um, about 130 knots on the tail up to that altitude. So all the fuel planning was predicated around that step climb. And, uh, anyway, it was night. We're headed to Austin. I think our estimated time of arrival was about 11, 11 PM. And, um, yeah, we're cruising along, cruising along. And, you know, we, I, I did a couple of, Oh, and that was the other thing. We also had a, um, we got a, sh- it, wasn't, it wasn't really a shortcut, but we got cleared direct to El Paso oh, okay. early on into the flight, early on in the flight. And we did the beams, but you know, I, I think I did one or two, um, maybe three fuel checkpoints and we got our lunch or dinner 
mm-hmm. started eating that. So I kind of put that aside. Of course, I had to do any checkpoints while I'm eating dinner. Uh, and then put the dinner down. We're getting our butts kicked. We're trying to find a smooth altitude. One thing led to another. We finally got smooth ride. And we just, you know, we're like, whew, thank God. We're cruising along, cruising along. And then we looked down at our fuel state. And it says we were going to land with 4,000 pounds. We are supposed to land with like nine or 10,000 pounds, I think. Okay. So we were low. (laughs) We were a lot lower than, and we were in a 319. So, I mean, probably at the very, very minimum, you want to land that airplane with, uh, definitely want to have it around 5,000 pounds or so. Yeah, say five or six. Yeah. 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 So we were. 4,000 pounds is low. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's very low for us. That that's yeah. a, that's a normal landing for us. Well, yeah, yeah but look on a 321, <laughs> you don't want to land with anything less than what 6000, I guess. Yeah. Um yeah. So it it was pucker factor for a second. I'm like, all right, let's get into the performance charts and figure out what long range cruise is, you know, and immediately I started I said I'm going to slow this plane down, get it close to green dot for a long range cruise and then let's figure out what the hell we're doing here. Um, you know, I'd rather sip, sip gas at, you know, the best lift over drag ratio we got, which is, I guess, guess green dot and then figure out what we need to be doing, <laughs> you know, should we climb up or whatever? And then ATC saw our speed reduction. They're like, uh, uh Hey, legacy, say your speed. Yeah. We're like, we're slowing to like six, seven, six, eight for a few minutes. We need to figure out we're having a, uh, uh, we're not having an issue. We're having, we have figured out where there's a miscalculation with our fuel and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. So like, all right, let us know if you need any help. And then we figured out, all right, we just keep going. We're going to be fine. So we just dialed it back up and kept going. Now, so we just said, Hey, we're min fuel. We're, uh, we're min fuel. And you know, we can't accept any undue deviations. They're like, all right, where are you going? Uh, Austin. All right. Clear direct Austin. Boom. So we just went direct Austin. Yeah. And what did you land with? Do you remember? uh, I was like 4,300. Wow, it was pretty low. Now, could yeah. you have climbed up to 36 or was it too well, late in the game the already? Well, the problem, I think we would have burned the gas getting up there. Mm. You know, we would have wasted probably the amount of gas we would have saved from, you know, that short period of time because the top of descent was like, I mean, we were probably less than 100 miles away from our top of descent. Oh, uh, yeah. So if we would have climbed up, it would have been just coming right back down to wasted it. So we figured try to do the best optimum descent we can from 24, 26,000 feet got cleared direct. And, um, yeah, but the good news was, uh, landed in Austin. My kid was having a volleyball tournament that weekend in Austin. Uh, so, uh, lucky. Coinc- yeah. Coincidentally, my hotel was right by the, uh, Austin convention center where they yep. were holding the event. Yep. So, um, it was a long overnight for us. Didn't have to report till seven o'clock, 7 PM the next day. So I was able to watch uh, a handful of matches with my uh, wife and my daughter. We went out and sampled some of the, uh, local cuisine. Actually, it wasn't even local cuisine It's Gus's fried chicken. Anybody ever have that? Oh yeah. Oh man, that stuff is good. That was the first time my wife had it. And she was like, holy mackerel. This is, this is amazing. So, um, yeah, I got to hang out with the wife and kid and then uh, got up, uh, got back, took a quick cat nap and then flew uh, Austin to Boston. 
Austin to Boston. Austin yep, to Boston. it pretty late there and <laughs> had a good overnight. Then the uh, next day was Boston to Charlotte, Charlotte to Dallas. And it was a really une- uneventful other than a nice stiff headwind and a little bit of chop on the way back. So, yeah. But yeah, that, uh, that Orange County to Austin trip was uh, definitely gave me a, uh, a little reality check to start paying attention a little more than I have. <laughs> yeah. So what you're saying was the pucker factor was a little real. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely catches you because I mean, it's like, man, what, obviously, you know, you can land somewhere. I mean, we're, we're out in West Texas. I mean, we had, you know, I think we're probably just passing, uh, well, we were between El Paso and Austin. So we we're coming up on, should we go to like, you know, we could go to San Angelo. We can go to, you know, any of those Midland, any of those airports, Abilene, yeah. you know, something like that along the way. But those were still kind of far away. But I mean, plenty of fuel to get to those places. But it said we had 4,000 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Four as is kind of low, but not you know, like unheard of. I mean, the Neo, sometimes yeah. in the Neo, we're landing with like 46, and that's still like an hour, 30 yeah. minutes of fuel in the Neo. Well, the other thing is, too, is, is I always remember this, and, and I, we haven't had to do it too much here at legacy but remember when you had to actually burn fuel to get below your landing weight oh yeah and it seems like it would take forever yeah you know especially when you're trying to burn it you're turning on the apu you're dropping the gear you know dropping a notch of flaps you know floating some spoilers and still you're like 10 15 minutes of just chugging around trying to burn that gas off yeah and so you know i'm thinking you know if we need to conserve fuel we can do it we could do this easily, you know, I'll just delay flap extension, just ride it at green dot downwind base. And then, you know, once you get on final to start configuring. Um, and so we did that and it, it worked out pretty good, but, um, <laughs> Oh, I guess the other funny thing, which just triggered my memory is when we did where we were turning, uh, we were on base and the, uh, the controller asked if we had the runway in sight. So I looked, <laughs> I didn't see it. And my captain, God bless his heart, he thought I, I gave him a nod. Mm-hmm. And I, I just didn't see it. He's like, yeah, we got it in sight. And he, they were like, all right, cleared for the vigil. So I just reached up and hit approach, Yeah, turned on the second autopilot. <laughs> and I'm like, and we were high because oh. you know, I'm, I'm trying to do an optimum descent. Yeah, And uh, we were a little high and we weren't fast. But, I mean, I was not where I would have normally been for a normal approach, you know, for configuration. And so I'm looking, I'm like, dude, I don't see the runway over there. He's like, Oh, we need to get down and get configured. And I'm like, well, then flaps one gear down. Then. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you know, speed brakes come out. It's shuttle landing. You know, yep. <laughs> flaps two, flaps three, you know? So, and then, right. and then again, it was his first time with the, uh, with the new call speed out verified. so he's like speed verified that's one that's one and he's like darn it verified yeah <laughs> and then when i landed when i did the rollout i had you know i had the brakes set for low auto brakes set for low mm-hmm. and i said watch this manual braking <laughs> <laughs> and did he say auto brake off <laughs> <laughs> well, he said, "Oh, are we supposed to say that now?" Yeah, <laughs> I'm like yeah. You know, you saw way, that. You're supposed to, you're supposed to say stable for me at, at a thousand feet too. But anyway, we'll cover yeah, that's that another thing. So that yeah. a thousand foot call, the pilot flying would say stable, and part of that was yeah. because you wanted to make sure they're still alive over there. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now the, now the pilot monitoring a thousand feet, they go stable. And at 500 feet, they go yep. stable. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I'm sure it'll change a little bit here too. Um, but yeah, now Roger has been patiently uh, listening <laughs> to our stories and, and you know, oh, I was eating my crew meal and I stopped doing the fuel planning and, and yeah. the crew scheduling was calling me <laughs> and he's sitting there patiently, you know, not being judgmental. I appreciate that, Roger. No, not at all. He's no. such a good guy, man. Yeah, <laughs> Roger. Wonderful man. What what have you been up to? Now, we were joking around about the old school training and the, uh, the uh, Part 91 airline that you're running. <laughs> what's going on yeah. what's what have you been up to but you guys talk a lot about flying i mean my I, like it's kind of <laughs> weird how you know you would ask you know before we'd actually start you know what i've been doing it's like uh, like boring stuff like the flying it's such a different thing everything you guys do is flying based everything and you guys you know in the end you guys do more flying than i do because that's all you do but i I do the administrative stuff and it's boring that nobody wants to hear about it, but that's what I spend more of a, a significant amount more time doing that stuff. than I do actually flying the airplane, the flying the airplane, that, that part's easy. You know, I think for the month of January, what are we January 23rd, mm. I did a trip to Cancun and I'm now in Aspen. Mm -hmm. I had a day trip up to Truckee also. And that's about it. But I've been swamped. Um, you know, we, I, we've got a guy that's got to go in and because we have three different aircraft types. I'm typed in the three different planes mm -hmm. and we have different crew members that are typed in different things. And, and one of the guys, our most recent hire actually is not typed in our smallest airplane, which everybody is. And so he's got to get that done. And and we're just kind of doing that on his own. And he's going to go up for a traditional check ride with a dpe mm. um it's not a you know not any dpe can do this you know because obviously that he's got to be fa approved in that aircraft type mm -hmm. um but i got to do some some in aircraft training for him to be able to do that so trying to get him into the into the airplane to get experience before we go up and then do all the maneuvers that you have to do on any check ride um so a lot of time trying to figure out the logistics on how to get him where he needs to go. We did have an aircraft with a maintenance issue just about a week ago that required some airplane swaps. Um, you know, not something that you <laughs> talk about in the corporate or, or the part 91 world, but with, you know, we now got four airplanes and eight pilots and things do happen and they require yeah. you know, manual crew swaps and manual airplane swaps. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was something that I, I was doing also. Um, you know, like I say, it's it's boring stuff. And then I got to go to Cancun and hang out in Cancun. Then I got sick. Montezuma came. Fortunately, uh, Montezuma was only, it was like Montezuma Junior. Wow. Um, it was not bad, but that uh, but that kind of spoiled that a little bit. Uh, yeah. For about it, fortunately, it was the day before we left. And then the guy that I was flying with, he got it the day after when we were flying, and <laughs> oh, that's not that fun. Was, that's yeah. awesome. Again, That's not great. not horrible, but um, but definitely, uh, but definitely, his presence was there. This this is the good thing about having you on the show, though, is you know it's easy to sit here and talk about what we know, 
And I think a lot of listeners are in the industry. All, all six of those Squawk Ident listeners are in the industry, I think. Um, and a few are probably not. And they're deciding, you know, what, what avenue oh, I want to go fly the big airplanes or whatever they want to do. But not everybody wants that. Some people want to fly corporate. And what they don't realize is that, I mean, yeah, you could be a contracted out pilot and just have to worry about the pilot stuff. But even at, even at that level, you're going to do flight plans and file and check the weather. And, and if you get to the point where you are, where you're up there in your company's seniority and you're in charge of really taking care of all the logistics of flying, whereas Rob and Alex and I... We don't worry about the logistics. We worry about there certainly is our a lot more variability in my job, yeah. if you will. Now, kind of like you said, though, there is I mean, just within the part 91 world, there's a huge variability on what people do. I mean, you can we have pilots that, that fly for us and they kind of are they're very much like you guys. Yes, they still need to do some flight planning and they need to do catering. You know, they got to get the coffee or they need to make sure that there's bottled water. And so there is a, additional stuff that you guys don't do, but still they're much closer to to that it's just kind of you know where you end up and like i didn't try to be here it's just one of those things that happened and you know it's come up on the show um before about all the stuff that i do and what by the time i go flying that's the easy part Um, but it's definitely not what most people would do um I, i guess what i the best way i could describe it is I fell into it because I could fix the problems, even though I wasn't trying to climb the ladder, if you will, it was just, right. you know, I fixed the problems and I guess that I was good at it. Um, I, I, I guess I am, I, if I'm really actually being honest, I am pretty good at it. Um, and that comes with its pros and its cons too. I do a whole lot more work than, yeah. <laughs> than yeah. other people. Um, yeah. well, we've known each other for what, 20 years now. And then those 20 years, you're a, you're a fixer by nature. You know, you love the challenge of taking care of. It does keep me mentally engaged, I guess, which is probably a good thing. Like it's not just the mundane. Admittedly. Yes. You know, when I was flying the 121, it was mundane. You show up, you do the same stuff. You guys are going yeah. through that right now with legacy airlines and, and all, and it's not just you guys. It's all, it's all of the legacy airlines. I'm sure are doing kind of the same stuff where they're trying to smash everybody into the same mold. They take kind of all the, the flight crew decisions away. Cause this was happening 10 years ago Yeah, and where they pretty much take a lot of the decision-making away and they fit everyone into this mold and we're going to try and do everything the same. And you, you can't do that, especially with the legacy airlines that have, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different aircraft types. Mm-hmm. You can't do some of this stuff, but I digress. Yeah. Um, well, it was, it was interesting to hear that, you know, you hear you're, you're doing training in the airplane, not in a simulator. And it must it possibly, I'm guessing, cause it's more cost effective. And it actually was more timing, timing related. Mm. Um, the, and it, it because of the backlog and training at some of the simulator things, it was just faster to get him through um, with the with the air in aircraft, of which yeah. is through a company that we've used. Uh, it's actually the company I did my initial type um, through. Okay. However, many years ago that was. Yeah. Um, and it was just because we could get his check ride done earlier. 
And then he's actually scheduled to go for some simulator in just a couple months also, Mm -hmm. except it will actually be a recurrent, even though he's not, there's no regulatory necessity for him to go. There is, there is some obvious advantages to going through the simulator because he, I mean, you definitely do not do the stuff you do in a simulator in the real airplane. Right. You're not going to shut down an engine and do a single engine approach (laughs) to a go around. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so there is, there is the, um, the benefit of that. And so he's scheduled for that as well, but now we can only do a four day recurrent instead of a two, you know, whatever it is, a yeah. 17 day initial that was going to be pushed off several more months. And that's really where that came from. Now you're flying with him. Are you giving him dual given when you go over? Do the- I like that as dual. Gi- um, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> not, not, not going to say that I'm going to put that in the dual given category. We're just, you know, it's going to be something where we're moving the airplane and we're just going to burn some holes in the sky on, on our way from point A to point B that we are flying anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, good. Really, it's the steep turns and the stalls, the stall sequence of which we'll do a little higher than, than we did a minute. So you, you're going to, you're going to practice stalls in a yep. Falcon. Which is very docile, by the way. Hey, uh, let me know when that happens. I'll uh, sit in your jump seat. That's crazy. (laughs) I don't know if insurance will allow you to do that. but Let let me know when that happens so I can not be anywhere near the state of California. (laughs) (laughs) We can do it over your house, bro. (laughs) Well, Uh, Speaking of which, Alex, what do you know about French Valley? You flying out of there? I, I used to instruct out of there. Why? Can I get a 650 in there? Possibly. What's your? How long do you guys need to land? How long do I need to land? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's I can, runway length. Six thousand feet. Stop, I can. St- I can stop it in thirty five hundred feet. Okay. Yeah. No, I've seen. I've seen Gulf Streams in and out of there before. Really? Yeah. Interesting. We cannot go in the in the six fifty. There's a rather significant uh, weight restriction. Oh, for the oh the condition of the runway and taxiway. Yeah. Probably. Okay. Something that you got to take a yeah, with that plane, but we had yeah. a we a guy he had a something and I think it was in Temecula. This was just like two days ago, and hmm. he wanted to go. I was like, yeah, I mean, because I've been to French Valley a few times. I was like, yeah, that's fine. And then I looked up the numbers because this is something you got to pay attention to now. <laughs> um, that's not going to work. So that's interesting <laughs> it's not because close. On a, uh, you know we don't worry about that stuff. That's dispatch and SOC, and that's all scheduled yeah. operations. We you know, and again, that's something, it's all, and it's not really something that's come up before. But as soon as you get yeah. into something, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. I could, I don't, I don't know how much you guys know about corporate airplane. We have the Falcon 2000, and we have the Falcon 900. I don't know what you guys know about a Falcon 900. It it's classified in most places as a large corporate jet because of the three engines or no, just because it's fairly sizable oh i mean from from it the size standpoint of it however oh. which is the same category as the Gulfstream, and yet the max gross takeoff weight of the falcon 900 is forty nine thousand pounds we can carry forty eight thousand pounds of just gas in the Gulfstream, and wow. so there is a huge discrepancy even though they're in the same quote-unquote category yeah. there's a huge difference in the capabilities and the weight and so these things that you never really worried about before um you know all of a sudden you've got an airplane capable of taking off at 104,000 pounds that's a rather that's a huge difference than 49,000 pounds and so the wow. rules are going to be different yeah and there's all these numbers that i'd never heard of before that now you know, i'm like the only person that pays attention to them when it comes to the Gulfstream. 
And that's uh, why you're running a Part 91 airline. <laughs> well, and I think that it was probably beneficial before we even had the Gulfstream. It was kind of a side note story, I guess. Um, we went to, was it Lakefront? I think it's called Lakefront in New Orleans, mm-hmm. um, where we go somewhat regularly for customs purposes to clear customs coming back from the Caribbean. And uh, apparently what I had heard happened, there was a G4 on the ramp over there. And somehow there was not, it had not been communicated that the evening crew had fueled the airplane. And then the morning crew came out and fueled the airplane. Oh, and we had there was a G4 literally sunk into the ramp. Wow. Like into the concrete on the ramp. Yeah. Well, the that asphalt. turned obviously into a yeah. huge ordeal. I was not anything part of that. And we left. I mean, but that memory has kind of been imprinted into my mind, kind of seeing that firsthand. Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, this is real. Like, yeah, I have seen it firsthand yeah. you got to pay attention to what your what the concrete whatever the formulation there's all kinds of different stuff that goes into concrete mm. for runways and airports and taxiways and ramps you know will it support the airplane because god forbid i be that guy you know that's not flying around oh we're gonna only land with four thousand pounds of fuel now i'm the guy that's got a 50 million dollar jet sinking into concrete right because that's a totally well, different discussion and to be fair, I think the the Gulf Streams that I used to see flying in and out there weren't six fifties. They're probably, probably not. they're they're probably fours or threes. Yeah. So well, threes you probably could have heard coming. <laughs> and even and yeah, even the fours. I mean, they're the the five is still a pretty big airplane. The fours, I'm not. I don't know very much about G fours, but uh, even the G five is a ninety thousand pound airplane. It's just, yeah. It's, well, you, so I'm, it's I'm hard looking to believe French how heavy they are. Yeah, I'm looking up French Valley's uh, weight capacity, and it says you guys. I'm assuming are double wheeled on the the mains, right? Uh, yep. And it says fifty eight point zero. Is that fifty eight thousand pounds? That's what it's limited 58, to fifty eight thousand pounds. And so our yeah. basic operating weight's right about fifty four. Got it. So you could take off and land there with no fuel. Well, if if one could figure out how to take off with no fuel, we could do it. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Needless to say, I just ixnayed that whole thing and said no. Well, you could, you could, I got it. I got, I know how you could do this the next time when you go in there, right? Obviously you got to get down to about 58,000 pounds. So you got to burn. I, I'm going to, you know how we to do it. I get robbed to fuel plant. <laughs> 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 hey, I'm good at it. <laughs> That's why I'd have you I'm do it. Man. Yeah. I yeah. Never fuel plant it and shuttle yet. approach if, it. If the airline uh, <laughs> managers and the airline CEOs could have their way, they'd have every single flight land with zero fuel because that would be the most oh, you want extra fuel for just land with zero fuel just plan it correctly and that would be very efficient so you guys figure out how to do that and no, you probably I got, get I got the perfect idea <laughs> for probably Roger. disappear you just got to get it in so you're below fifty eight thousand pounds you don't take off with much more fuel March is just like a stone's throw away you go meet up with one of the refueling tankers that are up there and there you go. You got it. Bada bada bing, bada bada boom. Yeah. Like, I see no problem with that whatsoever. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I want to see it. You make sure you put it on YouTube. <laughs> but, so well, yeah, that's it. And, and that just kind of, a, again, as an aside note, it's another thing. Okay. We can't take this airplane in, you know, what are we going to do? And so then there's more eight aircraft swaps 
there, yeah. it wasn't so much a swap as having a plane fly back because we're going to use one of the smaller airplanes. And so it's going to need to fly <laughs> back from somewhere else so they can fly this other trip because the, the 650 is too big to go into the requested airport. And yeah. Kind of shuffling that schedule around again. And yeah. that's what I've been doing for the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you're always on the phone and at all hours and yeah yeah i don't know how you that do is it. one thing i will say about the evening podcast the phone is much quieter oh. in the evening oh, it has noted. not buzzed once oh good but it's been an hour almost two hours now. duly noted good yeah now alex uh, yes what i mean i know you've had some time off you had six days off in a row but yep. you also were junior manned over Christmas, and then yep. you got stuck in Lexington because of something called uh, no, no Tam, no, no no Tam, no no, no Tam, no Tams, no no Tam, no no Tam. So first, let's talk about oh, no your tams. junior man. What? How did you get junior man? What? What's going on here? So I had a, a trip over Christmas. I don't even know how it like happened, like of what imploded or how it got canceled but all the trips just blend together at this point but i remember we were in little rock and once we got to little rock everyone was kind of checking their schedules figuring out what time for the next day and one of the flight attendants goes holy shit our uh chicago to cincinnati flight got canceled okay so we had still had needed to go up to Chicago the next morning. So we're like, okay, well, let's figure it out. Let's, you know, we'll, we'll wake up in the morning and figure out what we're doing on our schedules. And that next day, all four of us were off on different planes. Oh, we got to Chicago. So they reassigned us. It's not a big deal. Like I I get it. Reassignments are going to happen when a flight cancels or whatever. But um, I ended up getting uh, basically doing a Lexington was it Lexington? Yeah. Lexington turn out of Chicago. And then I would have been um, dead heading from Chicago back to Dallas on Christmas Eve. Well, we had a huge delay uh, with this was that whole story of where we were way overweight on fuel and we had to fly the full approach. Um, I think I, I said that story. So yeah. You told got, us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, because of that, I got, um, I missed my deadhead home and they were like, well, you, you're junior man. We're going to have to junior man you into the next day. And I was like, okay. So I stayed, they got me a hotel in Chicago and then I left the next morning to go home. Well, because of that, because I was junior man, I was able to um, get either. There's like a, a few different ways that you could do it. You know, you can do 200% pay, you can do this. And I was like, well, screw that. I'm going to take a day off. It's talking with one of my captains about it. Cause he was like, yeah, you, you're owed a day off. I was like, huh? Okay. So he's like, make it the most inconvenient for the company. Like you want it to be this day, make it the most inconvenient by choosing other parts of trips that are inconvenient. So you get the exact day you want. And I was like, cool. So it just ended up working out where I had a two day trip, which because I was junior manned, I had them kill that two day trip. So now I have six days off in a row and with uh, pay for two of those days. Okay. That's good. So, so you know, are you an internationally called pilot or is it just all domestic no we do we were i mean canada and mexico so so you don't have like different divisions over at sandpiper no no it's all you all basically just if you're assigned to a mexico trip you go to mexico you're assigned canada you go to canada most of it's all in the states otherwise Mm. yeah so you've you've made this work for you that's good yeah now it's been interesting uh lately 
with this NOTAM, we're going to talk about the FA outage. We've already kind of talked about that in a past podcast, but we have some new information that we're going to discuss in just a little bit. And we're going to talk about a a news article that that's not even a news article. It's a Substack, So it's someone who wrote an editorial about EKGs and pilots and how the FAA or medical board has changed requirements. And why did they do this? This went all over social media. And when we were talking about it before the show, Roger got very upset. He's like, this guy. And we're going to find out exactly what we're talking about here right after the break. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from the break. Well, as we promised, we're gonna we have a, a few articles we're gonna talk about today. It's gonna be uh, maybe maybe two or three articles. Um, but I know Rob has a very early wake up time. Um, I do. Where did you say you were? Aspen. I'm in DC. No, you're in DC. Rogers yeah. in Aspen. Oh, okay, so yeah, you're in Roger, you're yeah. in DC. You're you, you know, look yeah. out. Make sure they're not uh, bugging your room. Did you sweep the room for bugs? Yeah. Well, uh, nobody's. Uh, knocked on the door yet for those documents so no. yeah yeah i would just flush <laughs> those yet. down the toilet man don't uh yeah <laughs> don't get caught with those man yeah man but yeah so yeah. thank you so much for joining us all right and uh get your rest all yeah. right we'll do hey before i go i mm-hmm. just forgot one thing i want to give a shout out to a listener oh. um and he's a newly minted fo at envoy so uh, oh. uh alex you have a little bit of a uh, ground support over there my yeah. buddy Ernie just uh, passed his check ride, and uh, he's going to start IOE here pretty soon. Long time coming for him. He's, he and I worked at uh, in the Air National Guard together back in Arizona, and um, yeah, he, he worked really hard to get to where he's at, and he's finally finally one of us. I mean, well, congratulations is, to Ernie. Yeah, we'll have to have him on the show at some point. Yeah, he's a pretty good, pretty cool cat. So, yeah. To, bring him on the show and talk to him about how he got there so yeah, yeah. very interesting i'd love all right it. fellas thanks rob have a good night all right take care see ya congrats hey, rob. thanks and, and then there were three and exactly and then there were three uh well gentlemen um thank you so much for hanging in there um now, earlier I alluded to the fact that, you know, we wanted to talk about this Substack article that went all over social media. And you got to be careful nowadays, ladies and gentlemen, what you deem just because it's in print somewhere or online somewhere doesn't make it 100% factual. Um, a lot of this stuff, even when it's from someone who's a conspiracy therapist, um, <laughs> it, oh, there might be truth to it, but but let's dig into really what's going on here. What I wanted to do is just kind of explore a little bit and do a little bit of an analysis on a Substack by Steve Kirsch. I, I think that's how you say it. So it's Steve Kirsch. Um, it even got on Fox News. Um, so his Substack has is, is gotten a little bit of momentum. Uh, it, it circulated online. And what we're talking about here is an article that's entitled, The FAA Has Very Quietly Tactily Admitted That the EKGs of Pilots Are No Longer Normal. We Should Be Concerned 
very concerned, he says. In his substack, he says that after the vaccine rolled out, the FAA quietly widened the EKG parameter range for pilots so they wouldn't be grounded. Kirsch claims that the vax gave at least 50 million Americans heart damage. He went on to write that in October of 2022, the version of the FAA guide for aviation medical examiners was changed and the FAA quietly widened the EKG parameters beyond the normal range that went from a PR max of 0.2 to 0.3. This is a significant change in range for an EKG and it was done after the vaccine rollout, Kirsch says. They did it hoping that nobody would notice. Dun, dun, dun. It worked for a while. Nobody caught on. But you can't hide things for long. This is a tacit admission from the U.S. government that the COVID vaccine has damaged the hearts of our pilots. Not just a few pilots, a lot of pilots and a lot of damage. But cardiac harm is not limited to just pilots. By Kirch's best guess, over 50 million Americans sustain some kind of heart damage from the vaccine. That's a lot of people who would be very upset when they realized the vaccine that they took to reduce their chance of dying from COVID actually worked in reverse. He claims that it made people more likely to get COVID, to be hospitalized from COVID or other diseases, to die from COVID and other diseases, and also is an excellent chance of getting a lifetime heart damage for no extra charge. He also goes on to say, but don't worry, you, can, you can't sue them. That's because the laws were fixed so that the doctors, the drug companies, and the government are not liable. After all, you took the vaccine on your own free will. It's not like you were forced or coerced to take it or anything like that. And there were plenty of people warning you not to take the shot, even though they were censored. In his article, he explains that the evidence and the thinking behind his claims and he actually got some airtime on Fox when Tucker Carlson caught on to Steve Substack with a report on his show. So I'm, I was looking at uh, some of the stuff on what they're saying of the, the, the PR uh, on this. Uh-huh. And the PR, it's the, it's the interval measured at the beginning of the P wave, which if you look at an EKG, it's the little like speed bump before the giant mountain. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, in, a, in a normal person, it's supposed to be somewhere between 1.2 to 2.5. But to us pilots, we're held yeah. to a 0.2 milliseconds. Right. So I mean, that's, that's just, a huge difference. It's a huge difference from 0.2 milliseconds, which is within the normal range. Yeah. So now uh, something that's outside of the normal range, which is 0.3. Yeah, there's, yeah. and we're going to talk a little bit about what uh, cardiologist Thomas Levy said on the subject. But here is what Tucker Carlson has to say. And yet here's something pretty amazing that happened without much notice at all, without any explanation publicly. The FAA just made a major change in the health requirements for pilots with heart damage. The FAA has significantly broadened the acceptable EKG range for commercial pilots. Steve Kirsch reported this on his Substack. Now the change now allows people with injured hearts, cardiac injury, to fly. Now, the FAA made this change last October just after the vaccines were rolled out and made mandatory. Why? Well, we reached out to the FAA today for an explanation. They claim they, quote, follow standard processes based on data and science. 
whatever that means. Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long is an Army flight surgeon. She joins us tonight to assess. Doctor, thank you so much uh, for coming on. So this, you know, raised some red flags, I would say, for people, given what's at stake in commercial air travel. Why do you think the FAA did this? It's very obscure because extending the PR interval from um, the acceptable range of 120 to 200 milliseconds to 300 milliseconds um, does not improve safety. And I would like to see the data and the research that they based that decision on. In aviation, we are a data-driven um, institution and everything centers around risk mitigation. So making that um, broader actually puts the, the public at greater risk of a, of a pilot having um, a cardiac event that didn't get caught because um, they've extended that range. So, I mean, that's inexplicable. Everything the FAA does, as you just said, has to be designed with one goal in mind, and that's the safest possible flight, commercial, military pilot. I mean, and pilots think that way. So there is no way, in your opinion as a flight surgeon, that this change, whatever its cause, could make air travel safer. No, and in light of the emerging and overwhelming data that is showing the uh, cardiac damage from COVID and the COVID vaccines on cardiac um, muscle, I can't imagine why they would make this move. And I think it's a question that really should be taken to um, Dr. Uh, Susan Northrup. Um, she's the senior flight surgeon for the FAA and ask, uh, what what data they use to support this and i think it only undermines aviation safety if you realize that um, in the military pilots receive an ekg every year whereas um, for commercial air they receive it at 35 and then at 40 and every year annually after age 40. so those are you know very we hardly see them um, to begin with in terms of, uh, you know, a five-year gap in there. And right. so... Right. So, I mean, this so is, this is baffling. I'm, I'm sorry, I think there's an audio delay, but let me just say I appreciate your confirming what seems like common sense, that there's no, there's no good answer for why uh, they're doing this. And we, we are going to follow up, uh, Dr. Teresa Long and... and asked to interview the head flight surgeon at FAA because maybe we're missing something. Doesn't sound like. So interesting uh, what she had said uh, about EKGs. Now, do we know why the FAA changed this measure? It might have absolutely nothing to do with a vaccine or COVID. We have no idea why. There's, they have not released a statement. They did do it quietly, which as a government agency to do something quietly is interesting. Um, the, the Substack. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, I'll also put a link for that, uh, Twitter feed where there was a clip from Tucker Carlson came from. Um, and the interesting part is there's a, about an hour long video where Mr. Kirsch interviewed a cardiologist, Thomas Levy on the subject. And it's just way too long to discuss here, but I will leave you with something that was uh, he, he did mention something that I thought of, actually, when we heard about the Envoy pilot that had a massive 
heart attack during his IOE. We talked about this a couple shows ago. Uh, there was a, a envoy upgrading captain who was in the left seat on takeoff roll out of Chicago, and he suddenly had a massive, I don't think it was a heart attack. Uh, do you remember, Alex, what it was labeled as? A cardiac infraction? I think it was a cardiac infraction. I think it was um, a, a blood clot that went through uh, and caused the issue, not an actual heart attack. Uh, speculation is still out on that. And I know they still got to do the reports, but that was from what I remember. It wasn't an actual heart problem. Oh, really? Okay. And I actually flew with a captain who um, knew the guy who was in training with him. And he was the type of guy that was, yeah, I'll go out to dinner with you guys, but I'm going to work out first. He's prior military. He was in like super fit shape. So for him to have that, it was like a huge shock to everybody who knew him from class. Yeah, because there was a lot of talk about it being uh, possibly myocarditis. Um, and I know Roger's going to put in his two cents here. But before we get to that, let's see what cardiologist Thomas Levy said in his interview with Mr. Kirsch. We need to talk about the fact that not with all myocardial cells, but with a lot of them, when you make them inflamed, you make them electrically unstable. And what does that mean? That's just the prototype for smoldering inflammation and then an acute event, stress, a surge of adrenaline or epinephrine whenever you get excited or whenever an airline pilot hits a stressful situation and bump, that's like gasoline on smoldering coals. And you can go from something that wasn't even causing you symptoms to a sudden heart arrhythmia, possibly to the degree of fatality. It all depends. It could be any degree. It could be just a few extra beats, or it could be a ventricular tachycardia, or it could be a ventricular fibrillation. But it's not just the long-term effects of having inflammation in the heart, because you will lose heart muscle over time. Your heart will get weaker and weaker and weaker over time the longer you let it stay in an inflamed state. But you also need to realize that any acute adrenaline type of stress can precipitate an abnormal, potentially fatal arrhythmia as long as that condition persists. So I just, I found this interesting. I'm not, I'm not saying that this article is 100% accurate and because it is, you know, hasn't been admitted by like all the government organizations out there, the CDC, the World Health Organization, that we actually have these kind of heart damage caused by a vaccine. However, if you listen to enough people, there are enough people out there, enough doctors, enough professionals, enough scientists out there that have been talking about injured hearts, arrhythmias, murmurs that have developed. And really, this doctor said it. There's really no way to, without equivocally to say 100% that this is what's happening. But it was interesting. And when the FAA changed that, it, it basically put up kind of a flag. Why did they do that? Now, Roger, when we were talking before the show, you said, man, if we talk about this, I'm going to freaking lose my shit, man. Why did you say that? I don't even know if I want to talk about this. <laughs> like, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> but, but see, there are pilots out there that I believe think, this. They, they saw this on social media and they're like, oh, yeah, we're all going to die. You know, that's um, the problem. 
that's that's the problem. And you know, I can't even decide whether I don't even know how I'm going to I have no idea how this is going to come out. The fact that we're even I don't even know how I feel about the fact that you're sharing it, because what is happening right now is you've got a known. Vaccine. Super spreader that we are now bringing on to this podcast on aviation, who is not a scientist, who is not a pilot, who is a tech entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And yet here we are. And the fact that we're even dignifying this with airtime, I find ridiculous. Now, I apologize I, if 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 you if I come across as like this is happening. What I wanted to do, I know why you did it because, like you said, like you said, which is why I'm not totally, you know, against it. There are obviously people out there that believe, and people that that, that a believe this, and I, even more important than those people, there are a lot of people that are her pilots because this is an aviation, you know, pilots who are going to see this and who may get scared. There could be passengers, which is really why this was on Tucker Carlson. Passengers, they get scared. But I mean, going back to that Tucker Carlson thing, it's like, it, okay, there is nothing that I can see that makes this safer. <laughs> yeah. that is, that's asinine. That is an asinine s- statement that we are making. We're not worried about that. We're, making, we're worried about, is this going to make anything less safe? And if you go back and you look at this, Okay, and you go with okay. Some cardiologists look at some things, and most notably in this case, we're looking at the PR interval from the time that the electrical signal goes from the top of the heart to gets to the bottom of the heart. Is there anything that's going to make pilots, aircraft, commercial flying less safe because of this increased interval? And the cardiologists have said no. That's why they changed this. If you go back into the information, that's what the that's what the FAA has said is because there is no documented safety issue and a difference between moving it from 200 to 300. If you look at a young, healthy athlete, they could be up to a normal interval could go up to 400 milliseconds. Oh, wow. So 300 could still be somewhat conservative for the vast amount of the population. So that's number one. Number two. When did this change take place? Last October. Mm-hmm. Have you, you guys working at massive airlines, especially Tony, <clears throat> did you see a lot of people that were all of a sudden without a medical because they they exceeded 200? Well, I have no idea. I, I have absolutely no clue. You haven't. I, I don't know of any. Yeah. And yet this guy is claiming that 50 million Americans, of which how many X percentage of those are going to be pilots, all of a sudden we have to secretly increase the that interval because all these people are actually damaged but we don't know anybody that There's lost no their proof. medical because their pr interval all of a sudden after getting a vaccine has now increased we're just moving this because look we've we have some cardiologists that have looked at this data which if i had to guess no i do not know this for for sure but if i had to guess this was something that they've been looking at for years okay the cardiologists we know that when a lot of these aviation medical guidelines came out. They were based on military aviators. Mm. Can we agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. She even, she even said that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, that's what we, that's what we based most of our, our guidelines on. Mm-hmm. Well, now we've got a pilot shortage. We've got all these other people that are out there. Maybe these people are just as normal as everybody else. And just because they don't have a 200 millisecond PR interval, maybe 300 is okay. Okay, well, we better study that. 
And you go and you look at this data over the course of the year and, okay, there's a lot of people that maybe they're between 200 and 300. There's no adverse events, assuming they have no other symptoms. That's obviously going to be another big thing that any doctor, any cardiologist is going to be. I mean, do you have other symptoms? Because just because you have an, a longer interval there doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It could be. But if you have an additional issue with that heart inflammation that the guy was talking about, which is going to interrupt your um, uh, the electrical impulses yeah. going through your heart. Mm-hmm. Yes, that could be an indicator of a problem, but you're probably going to have other symptoms. This is not, no, this is not going to make anything safer, but right. it's not going to make anything less safe either, which is the criteria that we're looking for. I mean, why don't we just make it 175? Well, if you're 200, sorry. Yeah. But you know, in statistics in, in college, I, I anything, remember that we could debate the same statistics on both sides. And then one had to debate the pros of this statistic and one had to debate the argument against this, the statistic using the same exact numbers. And what I learned then at the age of 19 years old, whatever I was when I was a freshman in college, was the numbers don't lie, but how you interpret them is completely up to yep. you. And you can use the same yep. numbers to argue against one, one another. So, yeah, be careful. The whole point of this story that I brought this up, uh, I didn't know that Roger would be so uh, passionate about, um, you know, bringing this on. I am passionate and I, and I am about not, <laughs> the the. I think it's very important to realize that when you're in a field where it is, and, and Alex has said this before too, you're in a field where your medical, keeping a medical until the age of now 65 um, is a condition of employment. And that's rare. You, you rarely have that in other professions where if you don't have, you don't pass your FAA medical certificate and you don't pay us $140 every you know, time you come in here or whatever it is, um, then you're going to be grounded. I mean, so it's kind of a big deal. Now, the question is why? And we don't know exactly why. It's interesting to see that there's different ranges. And, you know, one guy says, well, it's significant. You know, Roger, you're telling me that 0.4 and, and above is quite normal for the range no, of the PR in an above. athletic. You're looking at a young, healthy athlete where those yeah. intervals can be a little bit longer, not for the general population. Mm-hmm. But just when you look, if you just, you can't look at just basic numbers because it's they're going to be a normal is going to be a wide a wide range depending on the individual and i think that us taking the data over the course of time and not just saying that hey here's a here's a military aviator and and looking at a range based on data Mm -hmm. i mean what i don't see i don't see the issue with that it's because otherwise everything that we change from here on out whether it's one way or the other anyone can grab this and go take it to the news and get, take it to the media for the sensationalist right. well, stupidity that we have It's funny you say that, on. the sensationalist part of it, because the, what I really wanted to get across was, you know, we, we get a lot of our news from social media now. We're not, we're not sitting here watching one of the 5M or the, the mass media news outlets much anymore, because for one, who, who watches local news or has cable? We're all, we're all on the go. We're all on the internet and we're getting, most of us get our news from our phones. And the dangerous part of that is sometimes you'll get articles that are out there that you have to absolutely look at the source. And just because they're mainstream doesn't mean they're accurate 
nor does it mean they're accurate if there's some obscure reporting. Now, in all fairness, let's see what Wikipedia has to say about the author of the Substack, Stephen Todd Kirsch. He is an American entrepreneur. He has started several companies, and one was uh, he was one of the two people who independently invented the optical mouse. Uh, he has been both a philanthropic supporter of medical research and a promoter of misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines. That's the first paragraph of his Wikipedia page. So before you get an article out there and you're like, oh, this must be true. It's on the internet. Um, maybe you want to do a little bit of research before you share it, like it, and spread it. Um, I got to admit, I read it and I thought, oh, this is interesting. I wonder if there's truth to this. And as we were doing the research for this show and we start talking about it before the show, um, <laughs> we got the Roger's response. And, and I am really grateful that you're on the show today because you really have, have brought a little bit of light to me. And I'm sure some of the listeners out there as well, that maybe loosening something allows more people to fly airplanes and the reason for loosening this EKG uh, guidance is because they've determined that everyone that they maybe is outside that range maybe 2.5 on the PR are no less safe than anybody they go else. they go get all these medical examinations and go to a cardiologist and get all this testing done. And then they come back going, no, they're fine. So they get some kind of special issuance so that they can be outside of the range. And that's just a giant waste of money. Now, mind you, we've talked about this for years now. What makes airlines run? What makes the government run? Liability and nothing else. Liability before money, before profits. Every decision made at mainline carriers has liability as the number one <laughs> reasoning behind doing something. And I think that the FA would not have changed anything um, if there was a risk of some kind of liability that, hey, you're doing this because of what? Because well, two, thing, two things to this, right? So I'm just hit my getting my first EKG this last medical, right? 35, you have mm -hmm. to do your first one. Yeah. I was vaccinated because of the military. I had to, and my EKG came back normal. Now, I don't necessarily believe all the hubbub that the vaccines are causing all these myocardial infractions or anything like that, or that, you know, DeMar Hamlin was the reason why he, you know, passed out on the field was because, you know, he got the COVID vaccine. No, he took a hard football hit straight to the chest and it was a freak play. But I mean, the, the, I, the thing that I do have to agree on is the, the, the thought that here the FAA is secretly or quietly, as he says it, raising these limits. How much more are they going to raise these limits? How, you know, and for the passenger's sake, like, you know, if they come to a point where it's putting this information out on Tucker Carlson or stuff like that, like how much are people going to freak out going, well, is my pilot safe? You know, is, is he this, is he that? Like, are we going to, are we going to be, you know, having to go back to the gate because here he is 55 years old and healthy and he has a heart attack on takeoff roll and has to have the IOE check airmen bring him back to the gate in Chicago. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, you know, how, how much is that going to deter people from flying now? See, and that's what we have to be careful of is go, ah, see, see, there's proof. No, there's no, are you, are you their doctor? Are you, are you, you know, you don't, <laughs> it's easy to fall for these kind of things. Just be careful. I'm not saying that the, the article is completely false and I'm not saying the article is very, very true. I'm just saying, Hey, this information's out there. We have to be careful um, and know your source and it's Keep commentary. An Keep an open mind. Yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. probably. I always say that you know whenever. Well, what do you think it is? Uh, I always say well, usually it's a little bit of both. You know, just in general, it's a little bit of both. Um, could there could there be people that have been injured from taking? Absolutely. Could there be people that were absolutely not? Absolutely. I mean, but until we know unequivocally, and we have multiple sources coming up with a definition or an explanation that we can all agree upon. Um, just be careful what you spread out there. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Speaking of, uh, uh, spreading something spread pretty, uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. A couple of weeks trip. ago, killed your trip. The notices to air missions or notices to airmen. Um, so those things that are just a bunch of garbage, <laughs> That's what NODAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage that nobody pays any attention to. What happens is, again, liability, right? So you have these NOTAMs that before you go on a flight, you're responsible to read the NOTAMs because what if the ILS is not working or something when you get there and you're dependent on, you know, the 200 foot minimums because of the weather. And then you get there and you realize, oh, by the way, a glide slip's out of service. So now you have an MDA that's much higher. 400 feet and you're not gonna be able to get in there well i should have then had a alternate right or whatever so if only there was something that told us all of that it's called a no tam right oh well the no tam went down and it, it this was like a week after southwest had their whole meltdown and the memes just came flying and everybody was looking at these memes going, ah, the F Southwest has a, a debacle after a software issue and cancels thousands of flights. And the FAA says, all right, hold my beer, watch this. In a story from NPR <laughs> entitled, contractors unintentionally grounded thousands of flights last week when they deleted files while working on the notice to air missions system, the Federal Aviation administration says i'll put a link in the show notes uh, from the npr article but it basically says that the agency in a statement on thursday said that the preliminary review found the shutdown happened as the contractors worked to correct synchronization between live primary databases and backup databases investigators so far found no evidence of malicious intent or a cyber attack notam is used by the faa to notify pilots and airports of any potential flight hazards. The FAA says that it has taken steps to make the system more resilient, though the statement did not specify those measures. NOTAMs went dark late on Tuesday, January 10th, sparking safety concerns by the time morning began on the East Coast. The FAA ordered a nationwide pause on domestic flight departures. By 9 a.m. Eastern Time, the system had been fully restored and flights began to resume. But the system failure caused airlines to cancel more than 1,300 flights and delay nearly 10,000 more. Senator Ted Cruz, 
on January 11th, attacked the nationwide disruption as completely unacceptable and the latest example of dysfunction within the Department of Transportation. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg defended the shutdown after services were restored that Wednesday. When there's a problem with a government system, we're going to own it, we're going to find it, and we're going to fix it. Judge said. In this case, we had to make sure that there was complete confidence about safety and flight operations, which is why there was a conservative but important step to have a pause that, make, that made sure that everything was back up and running. Now, were airplanes going to fall out of the sky if they didn't have NOTAMs? No. No. But would the liability then fall on the FAA if something were to have happened and the pilots... Or the airlines or the airport said, well, we didn't know about it because the no-time system yeah. was down. So now you're responsible. So yeah. it was the law. It was a lawyer move, honestly. You know, and I, I completely 100% get it. And I know why that they put the pause on the system and all that stuff. But I mean, in, in all honesty, how much is going to change between what they say it shut down that night before to that morning? Like, Generally, notams are posted. I think they can go up to thirty days in advance. So, like if you're if you're looking at an ILS system being out, you're going to know that that system's going to be out days, if not weeks, prior to you coming in. Yeah, now, but those you're not you're not going to check that notam days and weeks. You're you're no no no. You're scheduled no, to fly that that evening, or maybe yeah. twenty minutes before the flight. You check the notam. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, the, and the, the filters on our on our software, I don't know if yours does it, but like our filter basically filters it to the pertinent stuff for that flight. Now, granted, sometimes it's a little tedious filtering through all of that shit, but, right. you know, you are supposed to check them and you are supposed to look through them. But how, and I again, I agree with the conservative approach to it's better to be safe than sorry and not have, you know, that unlit tower that you're not going to see now, you know, be completely protected. But and Tony's smiling because he saw all the memes that I saw too. You know, mm -hmm. I was marked safe from the unlit tower. Exactly. <laughs> and then there was the one with Alec Guinness, and just like that, you know, several thousand unlit towers cried out and help. <laughs> Roger, so, like, did you have any problems with no Tams? No, fortunately, we only had one flight that went out that day, and it left after everything had been lifted by several hours, so no they were not affected at all. Well, it killed my trip. We were supposed to have a 6 a.m. departure, 6.20 departure that morning to go to Chicago. And the, the saving grace is we had a maintenance issue that kind of caused us to be delayed for a couple hours. But by the time our maintenance issue got fixed, our flight was canceled for the day. So I got a lost day in Lexington out of it. And, and the funny thing is, uh, I'm flying with a, a Czech Ehrman this last week. Uh, really nice guy. And we got along great. You know, we're, we're up there telling stories and telling jokes and um, I thought he was, I thought he was a real top notch pilot. He was just doing his, uh, you know, one month on the line and then he's going to go back to Dallas to go, uh, be a, a check airman in the sim. And we were talking about the approach coming into Ontario on two, six, right. And he's doing the, the approach briefing before top of descent. You know, he's talking about the arrival and he's talking about the ILS and how it's going to be a visual. But at night we back it up with the ILS and he's going over all the information and he goes, eh, and I just threw the, uh, the decision altitude in there just for fun. And he, and he reads the number and I go, Oh, you mean, I forget what it is, like 1,128 feet or whatever it is. Uh, and he goes, Oh, is there a notum on that? I'm like, yes, there is. <laughs> 
<laughs> we were just <laughs> laughing because <laughs> there's a NOTAM on there instead of 200 uh, above field elevation. It's it's actually 250 field above field elevation. Um, I don't know why, but it's a uh, NOTAM 5A at the airport. <laughs> Uh, yeah because you know that's that's important for you know yeah well you know if you're coming down to minimums and you just inadvertently get go down to 200 feet and go oh, we're in sight land what's gonna happen <laughs> oh man well uh last story uh and i know it's getting late for some of you guys so uh let's wrap it up shall we uh last story you know we've been talking about what's been going on with southwest their meltdown we, we actually talked about that a couple of shows ago. Um, it was a so- it ended up being a software issue uh, with outdated software from the 90s, and it finally just gave up. And it caused delays and cancellations for days. Well, according to an article from simply or and according to an article from simpleflying.com, Southwest Airlines will pay $45 million in bonuses to their staff who worked during the Christmas meltdown. Amid continued fallout from its catastrophic meltdown last month, Southwest Airlines has agreed to compensate its pilots as a way to say thank you. The airline also plans to pay other employees who worked through the nightmare. Southwest said it will pay millions of dollars in bonuses that they call gratitude pay to employees who work during the December 20th and January 3rd timeframes. The penalty that nearly 17,000 flights canceled during that busy holiday travel season surrounding Christmas has reportedly cost the carrier between $725 million and $825 million. Southwest Airlines uh, Pilots Association, or SWAPA, of the nearly 10,000 pilots voted to accept the pay bonus on Thursday, including extra pay already given for the holidays and reassignment pay. The union will receive an estimated $45 million in additional pay, which equals about $4,500 per pilot. Hey, I mean, you know what? At least at least they're doing the right thing and giving compensation to the people, but like... Uh... I I think Southwest shot them in the, the shot themselves in the foot with this one. I don't know. You know, I think they'll recover. You know, a lot of people are saying, "Oh no, that's it. This is the end of Southwest." Uh, you know, they can't they can't do this during a holiday and think they're. I think they'll be just fine. I, well, Southwest has kind of been the golden child of aviation, like where oh hey you uh sucked out a passenger and you know you had to emergency decompression and get down and all all that good stuff oh sure yeah we'll still fly if that happened on like american or delta or united like people would be boycotting the airlines and you know i don't know Southwest, we live in a know, different Southwest time can do no wrong in my opinion there's no loyalty anymore people they They're, they have like the the remembrance of like a goldfish 15 seconds later and they're all i mean they'll believe anything in 15 seconds and they'll forget anything in 15 seconds i mean oh yeah we have to i don't know i i think there we definitely have to hold companies organizations and governments to a high standard yeah i mean there's no nope, doubt about I it i mean we're in an industry where safety is paramount and when things go right things go right it's a nice job it's easy it's relaxing but when things go wrong we earn our pay maybe in the matter of just one flight for the year we earn that pay because 
we're, we're not paid to, to get you up in the air. We're paid to bring you down to the ground. Yeah. That was my, well, that was my favorite line that your dad had said about the anesthesiologist, uh, the anesthesiologist, uh, they're not paid yeah. to put you to sleep. They're, they're paid, paid to, to wake, wake you up. back up. That, I mean, that was fantastic. And then he said, and pilots are the same. We're not paid to take you up in the air and fly you there. We're paid to get you back down safely. Yeah. Um, so I think Southwest is going to do just fine. It's nice that they're giving a, you know, a bonus. They're throwing a bone to their pilot group, trying yeah. to keep them happy during a contract negotiation, you know, just to make sure that they're <laughs> doing okay. And Gee. You know, Gee. they, <laughs> they, uh, they're getting close. Uh, we were before the show, we were kind of talking about what we've heard uh, for a while now. We've been talking about all these airlines that are under contract negotiations, uh, section six. Um, and it sounds like, Alaska's getting close. So they're going to sign a TA. Uh, looks like Delta, their TA has uh, gone to a vote and looks like it's going to pass and go to the membership for a vote. Um, who yeah, else was they, it? They Spirit had, I did think it? the latest that I saw was uh, they, they had like all but three of their MECs voted yes on it. So it's, it's going to their pilots at this point for Delta. So, and then Alaska, I think you said. Yeah, Alaska, I heard. Um, I read something about that. And then, um, and, and again, if you want to keep up with all this, uh, it's not really about, I mean, it is related to a career in aviation. Obviously, it affects all of us. Uh, whoever gets the best contract is going to have their pick of pilots going there, going, I want to work there. Um, we've seen that years ago with Southwest. We saw it with UPS. That yep. was the premier place to go. Um, JetBlue for a while, that was the premier place to go. Um, right now, uh, it's kind of up in the air because, you know, 12 U.S. carriers are all under contract negotiations for pay. And in a post-pandemic environment and economy, you know, the, the longer they drag this out, the better for the airline yep. companies because they're just waiting for the economy to collapse so that they can go, well, we're ready to talk now. <laughs> well, and you you had said it uh I think you said it when we were doing the thing with my dad. I like basically every major right now is in contract negotiation. It's just who's getting theirs out first. Yeah. Yeah. And and Roger is under contract negotiations continuously. Yeah. (laughs) Roger. (laughs) Roger's like, thank God I don't have to deal with this shit again. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for spending the time with me i know today's show we kind of talked about some some interesting topics and we really were doing a catch-up of what everyone's yeah. been up to it was so nice to have everyone on and rob as well um so thank you for joining me today yeah no that's why we do it why we're here i'm glad that we could all get all four of us on it was awesome I know that roger's still alive at some point still here <laughs> he's <laughs> working hard quietly in the dark watching learning destroying well he's in a good place right now he's in a place where the beer flows like wine and the the women flock instinctively like the salmon of capistrano (laughs) (laughs) how poetic wow did you just did you just make that up no that was completely from dumb and dumber oh okay (laughs) (laughs) any last topics guys roger do you have anything you want to add or anything i do want to just uh uh, I don't know. In my in my wisdom, I just wanted to to pass on something to Alex since he said it twice. It's an infarction, not an infraction. 
an infarction is something that blocks blood flow to an organ, which then kills it. Oh. Because without the oxygen and blood, but infarction. infarction. Typically, like you might see it as an MI, a myocardial infarction. A heart attack. <laughs> Got it. Infarction. But it can also be a, a stroke is also one. And an infraction is part of a fraction. It's a, like a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we got I, AR I, versus RA. But yeah. anyway, hey, my brain just reads it as, you know. Uh, uh, well, it's kind of the first time I didn't really think much about it. And then you said it again. I, I heard it too, but yeah. I didn't want to correct him. Because <laughs> I, well, I, what thanks. do I know? Now you're going to make me sound like a fucking like, idiot on this show. That's that why just, no, 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 no. Like, you made yourself sound like a like, fucking yeah, idiot. I'm going to educate him. <laughs> Yeah, well, I say it wrong twice, and then now <laughs> Roger has to come back and be like, no, 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 you've said it wrong twice now. Twice. Yeah. Oh, he does the same with me. That's good. I'd rather he's, I'd rather he correct me right away, but if, as long as he yeah, tells me about it. Correct, shit, yeah, you corrected right away? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you could have, no, he no, that's the, shin. That, that's the signal for I need ground power. You can't do that, because then I'm going to look at you like. Oh, yeah, ground power, <laughs> air. Yeah. Yeah. But don't do disconnect the air, <laughs> and don't do <laughs> technical foul. <laughs> technical foul. You, you could, you know, if you, did, if you did this, like time out, I could, I could understand that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, I just let's just wrap it up before we get <laughs> too out of hand here. Thank you so much to Roger, to Rob, to Alex for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed listening to our flight today. Uh, I hope you'd pay it forward. Share this podcast with your friends and your family. If you like it, uh, please subscribe and follow to the Squawk Out In podcast on whatever platform you're listening on and send us a review. They don't have to be all perfect five stars and it's the best podcast ever. But, you know, if you're so inclined, we'd love to receive some of those. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us an email or even an audio file right on our website. And that's at www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. We're also on the social media platforms, unfortunately. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram users, you guys can follow us on, just look up Squawk Out In Podcast. One final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe. And take care of each other. Bye, y'all. Meow. Where is he? Where is he? You're on guard. There he is. Roger, uh, you're going to start sending me your tail numbers and I can start flight awareing you because I could have sworn I heard you the other day. You might have. Yeah. It's like, Roger, is that you? You should have just asked me, like, Roger? <laughs> well, see, that's the thing with aviation. I've realized that too many people are named Roger. You check on to the center frequency. Roger. 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 Roger.
different kind of flying. Kind of flying.